Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The FT. What will a European ruling on gender discrimination do to your pension? We have good news for women, but bad news for men. Why do some index tracker funds go off the beaten track? We find the FTSE funds that get tripped up. And where can you talk to a bank manager these days? We visit some new banks with old-fashioned values. All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Alice Ross. Hello. And back from her travels after nearly two years, Elaine Moore. Hello. Welcome back. As well as our special studio guest, Haig Bathgate, who's Chief Investment Officer at Turk & Connell. Hello. So let's start with the money news. This week, just as we warned on The Money Show a month or so ago, the European Court of Justice ruled that differential annuity rates and insurance premiums for men and women are illegal. As a result, in 18 months' time, men will not be allowed to receive a higher pension annuity income than women in return for a lump sum, even though they receive it for fewer years due to their shorter lifespans. And women will not be able to enjoy lower car insurance premiums than men, even though they cause fewer accidents. This move to unisex pricing will see pension income for men drop by between 2 and 8%, according to some estimates, and 3 million female drivers aged under 30 will almost certainly see substantial increases in their car insurance premiums of between 25 and 50%, according to industry observers. Alice, I mean, all of this is supposed to be in the name of fairness, but some of it doesn't seem that fair. Well, yeah, I mean, it's all about how insurance companies calculate premiums. And what they usually do is they'll take a, a broad group, and it's not necessarily by um, gender, so they don't necessarily just look at men or women, um, but they'll say what usually happens within that broad group. So um, the most obvious one is, uh, you know, women tend to live longer than men. Therefore, when you're buying an annuity with your pension and you're a woman, um, the insurance company is probably going to have to pay you for a longer time. So it wants to pay you a smaller sum and the opposite with men because it's going to have to pay you for a shorter time. Um, but this happens across all sorts of things. I mean, if you're a smoker, if you're in the smokers group, you're also expected to live for a shorter amount of time. So you can also get a higher premium. What this ruling will mean for all of those sorts of things, I don't know. Um, but that's generally been considered fair and no one in the UK has ever thought that that was unfair but clearly the ECJ disagrees. Exactly. So if you're a woman um, in, in terms of your pension this is good news because you should see uh, an increase in the amount of annuity income you get. 
Yeah, I mean, everyone's been focusing on how bad this is going to be for men who will get lower pension incomes and for women who will have to pay far more on their car insurance. But I suppose you could look at it the other way around and say that it's relatively good news for women who will um, who will get a bit more in their pension and good news for all of those um, teenage male drivers who are causing accidents because now their car insurance won't cost as much. Indeed. What about those slightly older um, uh, men who are approaching retirement now uh, I suppose there's there's sort of added impetus for them to sort out an annuity before this uh, sort of unisex rate ruling comes into force um, yes, exactly. I mean, the problem is, is that insurers have already started tweaking their policies because uh, everyone's been a bit worried about this ruling and it was made this week, but everyone expected them to do this. So uh, it's possible that, I mean, some rates have already been changing. But yes, I mean, the basic advice is shop around, get the highest annuity rate that you possibly can because they're only going to go down. Um due to other factors as well, to be honest. Annuity rates are kind of spiralling downwards anyway because people are living so much longer. So the sooner you can buy one, probably the better, so long as it fits in with your other circumstances. And this is a Europe-wide ruling, but are there any people who might be exempt from its effects? Well, there's a bit of a question mark at the moment over pension schemes, um, final salary pension schemes, because the ruling applies to products and services that are sold by insurance companies. But if you're in a final salary pension, that's not, you know, a product being sold. So it comes under a different type of ruling, or it comes under a different law, rather. It comes under employment law, what your pension scheme can pay you. So some people think that pension schemes aren't going to be caught by this. So it's possible that if you're in a final salary scheme, you still will get a better rate if you're a man. Um, But this is kind of up in the air and people definitely want some clarity on that. But that could be a bit of good news in all of this. And uh, and finally, if if you are um, a a woman driver, been driving very responsibly uh, for a long time, and you're really quite annoyed about the idea of having to subsidise all these boy races, is there anything you can do to keep your premiums down? One thing you can do is buy a special black box that is attached to your car and it monitors how much you drive. So it looks at the mileage and it also looks at how fast you go. And if you don't drive that much and you tend to drive quite slowly, you can actually use that information to get a lower premium. So that might be the way forward for women now. Excellent. Alice, thanks very much for that. And for more on the impact of the gender discrimination rules and what you can do now to limit your potential losses, look out for a Q&A guide written by our colleague Joe Cumbo, which will be in the money section of this weekend's FT and on our website at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, the return of the branch-based bank manager. But can he or she still offer you a better deal than someone in a call centre? First, though, index tracker funds. Index tracker unit trusts, or exchange-traded funds, are supposed to do exactly what they say on the tin. Track a stock market index. And investors have been piling into these passively managed funds after many lost faith in active fund managers in the stock market slump of 2008. Exchange-traded funds are now being launched on an almost daily basis, but investors are being warned that not all ETFs are the same. Research by the FT has found that some have huge tracking errors of as much as 18%. Um, Alice, why is something apparently as simple as index tracking proving so difficult for some funds? Well, basically, they don't all track the index in the same way, and... um 
also some indices are more difficult to track than others. So it's, those are the two main reasons. Um, funds can track indexes in all sorts of ways. They can buy and hold um, stocks or they can use far more complex methods. I know that you've looked at this quite a lot, Hagen, and you actually have a bit of a screening process and there are some ETFs that you just wouldn't buy because they are too complex. Yeah, I think it's um, it's very much dependent on the underlying index or asset class that they're trying to follow. And generally speaking, if it's if it's an esoteric asset class or it's illiquid, then it's a much harder it's a much harder strategy to implement. It's very easy to put in something like a FTSE 100 tracker because the shares are very liquid. Whereas if you look at some of these areas, like some some emerging markets um, or more esoteric asset classes like healthcare, for example, some of the sector funds, um, there's simply not the liquidity in the stocks to guarantee that you could you could track that index on a on a consistent basis. Mm. And what do they do to get around this kind of thing? Because I mean, if you buy a FTSE 100, say, tracker fund, you're not going to have every necessarily every single stock in that. Some of them just do a sampling method, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, if you want to minimise the tracking error, effectively you can enter a financial derivative transaction with an investment bank. So you can always minimise the tracking error by using a, a financial derivative. But that brings with it other problems. So then you have the counterparty risk of the investment bank that you're trading with. Um, and and there are there are other issues um, to do with um, with 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 how how what happens if if that if that counterparty gets into into difficulty. Mm. But if you do buy one of those type of tracker funds, that's that's called a swap based one, is yes, it? Exactly. Yeah. Um, if you, so, if you have a swap based ETF, uh, the tracking error might be. Um, well, does that mean that the tracking error is necessarily better if it's swap based? Yeah, g- generally speaking, you can be much more confident that the return will track the index that you're trying to trying to follow. Um, so that is, a, it's a, you know, on the plus side, it's it's much closer to the return you're trying to achieve. But the problem is you're taking inadvertent risks, which are not always obvious when you look at the title of the of the um, of the index mm. fund that you you invest in. So would you avoid the swap based ones altogether? I wouldn't. I wouldn't avoid them. In some cases, they are they are very useful. I think it's just a case of understanding what you're getting into, and I think. Um, a number of investors treat this as a homogenous asset class, and actually, in reality, it's not. There are, you know, there are a wide variety of different kind of index funds that you can, you can buy, and you've really got to do your homework and be comfortable with the, the underlying counterparty risk. Mm, yeah, I think there's probably not that much awareness of all of that in the UK because, I mean, in the US, it's so much more normal for mm. investors to buy an ETF, and and here it's it's a relatively new phenomenon. So I think people aren't aware of all these terms like swap based and you know, yes, yes. sampling and all and, it's, and, and as you say, it's not immediately apparent if you print off a fact sheet with some of these providers. It's not immediately transparent exactly how they're doing it unless in, in, unless you you really understand what you're looking for. Mm. And what about um, some of the bad guys then? Some of the ones that have these really shocking tracking errors. I mean, I was looking at um, some of the uh, tracking errors at some of them and, and they can be up to 20%. Um, as you said, it does tend to be the ones in illiquid markets. So there were quite a lot of greater China ones, I think, that were kind of 8 or 9% mm-hmm. and there were some in fixed income. Um, are there any ones that stand that to you as being particularly shocking? Um, I mean, there are generally the ones that have difficulties are the ones that are in more esoteric or illiquid asset classes. Um, I think they have to really be reviewed on a case-by-case basis. I mean, ordinarily, we don't invest in funds unless they're in very liquid markets. So I would tend to avoid, for example, something like a high-yield bond ETF, Mm. um, particularly because you can see the tracking error when we've had a, a reasonably stable market. If we go into a period of distress... Um, having daily liquidity in something like high yield debt is, is simply 
you know, it's not, it's not, it's not going to happen. I don't think. Mm. Although uh, the tracking error, interestingly, I just found out, it isn't necessarily on the downside. It can be on the upside. So you could have a yes. tracking error of ten percent, and that means you've made ten percent more than the index. Yes, yes. I, I mean that that that's absolutely true. So some of you know some of these illiquid um, strategies can out or underperform but I think it's ultimately what you're buying it for which is to track the performance of an index. Mm. So just very quickly what would be your three top tips if you're looking for an ETF what do you need to watch out for? I think you need to be aware of the counterparty risk is is a key thing Um, you need to understand whether the index fund you're investing in is engaging in stock lending i.e. they are lending out to um, hedge funds and and other counterparties um, the the, the stock to enhance returns. You need to be aware of the costs, um, not just the headline asset management fee, but also the additional costs. Uh, again, the closer the tracking area that you have, it involves more rebalancing, so that there's a cost associated um, with that. And I think um, you know the third point is the concentration risk. Um, a lot of people will buy a UK um, FTSE 100 ETF, assuming they're getting a broad diversification of 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 companies the reality is there's a very high sector concentration towards mining resource companies and financial companies and you wouldn't want to invest in something like that unless you had a positive view on these sectors thanks very much Jake. So it's not always as simple as as what it says on the tin uh yes thanks uh for that Hager and alice and uh, for the details of the best and worst index tracker funds and those tracking errors look out for alice's article in this weekend's ft and on the website at ft.com forward slash money. And finally today, bank branches. It may be 21 years since First Direct began the telephone banking revolution, and it may seem that talking to someone at your bank now involves an international communications network and pressing one star or hash several times. But in certain corners of the country, branch-based banking is making a comeback. It's now a year since Metro Bank opened its first London branch, offering a friendly welcome to anyone and his dog, and NatWest is continuing to advertise its branch-based consumer charter. Then this week, a new entrant opened its door, and invited customers to take a seat in the branch manager's glass-walled office. So, with Elaine back on the FT Money team after a stint working in Cambodia, we decided she was a suitably intrepid reporter to send to darkest East London and find out what this new bank was all about. So, Elaine, what did you find when you got there? Well, the new bank branch is on quite a dingy street in uh, East Ham in East London. And what they've done is they've opened this branch that's very shiny, very white, very welcoming. Um, Customers can go in there, make a cup of tea, sit down. But most importantly, what they can do is they can see the the bank branch manager behind his glass-walled office. So they'll know if he's busy or not, and they'll know whether they can get an appointment. What the bank wants to do is encourage customers who have any kind of query, who want some kind of help, to just walk in and have a chat with the manager. So is it is it Barclays? Is it RBS? Is it Lloyd's? Who is it? This is actually State Bank of India. So I don't know if the listeners have ever heard of this before. Most of their customers have some kind of connection to India, where it's a huge presence. In the UK, it's one of the smaller providers. And when you were there, um, did you see people back, you know, actually talking to the talking to the manager? Did you see the Did you see the branch manager? I did get to sit in the branch manager's office and have a chat with him. Very very nice personable chap. Um, there were a few customers in there. It was the middle of the day, so it was fairly quiet. But the bank says that they do also intend to open a little bit later in the evening, which is something that 
banks across the board are talking about doing now, having longer opening hours being a little bit more customer-focused. And uh, while having these longer hours is undoubtedly more convenient uh, for some people, um, how do the products actually compare? I mean, when you were talking to the, the friendly manager, were you offered a better rate on your current account or a better rate on savings? The current account offering is sort of comparative with the others across the board. Um, but where they do come out quite well is on a fixed saving, five-year fixed saving rate of 4.5%, which is pretty good. Their instant access rate is 1.98%, which is not bad. It's not The market leader is 2.9%, so it's not up there. But it's not one of these you know, bait-and-switch accounts that offers you a bonus rate for a year and then reverts you back to some 0.0%. 0.1% after a very short period of time. But say you were attracted by this quite good rate on your savings accounts, but on a, I don't know, a, a rainy Tuesday evening, you needed to transfer some money from your savings account into your current account because you had a you had a standing order going out or something like that. Can you do it? They do have an online offering, um, but where the bank is really focused on is in the, is on the branches. So you need to go in. If you want to open an account, you need to go in. If you want to have a savings account, you need to go in and open a current account. And this is something that is a sort of potential... Uh, pitfall for the Metro Bank and State Bank of India and the banks that are focusing on branches is that you actually have to go into them to open an account. You can't just do it conveniently from your office or from your home sitting at your computer. No, and uh, you know, if, uh, for example, Haig wanted to open an account, he would have to travel down from Edinburgh again to London, then go out to East Ham and do it. Because it, it, is this the first, the first of its branches? Is it not? It has a quite a big network. It's got a few branches open across the UK. This is the first branch that's offering a sort of new look and the idea of having a bank manager who sits in the middle of the branch available to have a chat with you. But um, Metro Bank in particular, that's only available in Greater London and it's so far doesn't have plans to extend beyond Greater London. So you need to come inside the M25 if you want to talk to them. And just finally, on the same day that you went to go and see the State Bank of India's uh, brand new shiny branch, you also I think, popped into a metro bank. Um, how do they compare? Which is your favourite? Mm, they're very different. Metro bank has their sort of gimmicky dog biscuits and lollies on offer and it's a slightly more impressive foyer. It's in Hoban. Um, it's this very huge building. State Bank of India is a little bit more community focused, a little bit more cosy. Um, uh, Metro Bank has got quite an interesting idea behind it, though. It wants to promote the idea of uh, being able to see anybody anytime you walk in. It doesn't really have a bank manager, but it has people who will be able to call up your financial history at any point and have a chat with you over a desk. So it is the it is the human touch still available on a high street or certain high streets uh, in certain parts of the country. Thanks very much for that, uh, Elaine. And for a comparison of the best branch-based accounts and also the best buys elsewhere, look out for Elaine's article in the money section of this weekend's FT. But that's all for this week's FT Money Show. Remember, you'll find weekday news updates and all of these stories on our website, ft.com forward slash money. And if you have a question that you'd like us to answer about any aspect of your finances, just email us the address is money at ft.com next week we'll bring you another financial lowdown in downloadable form but until then it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from elaine alice and our special guest haig bathgate of turk and connell goodbye. Goodbye. goodbye for more downloads go to ft.com forward slash podcasts Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. 
In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.